This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 195. We are talking uh, teen periods today. We haven't done this subject before, and I know that there are a lot of parents in our community who are at that stage where uh, their uh, girls are starting to get their periods, and uh, and I wanted to bring on someone who was supportive, encouraging, uh, and really just uh, has such a way with this topic. And that person is Nicole Jardim. She is New York-based. She's the author of Fix Your Period and uh, has created programs uh, to help women and girls with their period woes over the years with huge amounts of success. Literally tens of thousands of people have been through her programs. And uh, I really love The Happy Balance as well, a book she co-authored with Hormone Balancing Recipes and... Uh, The Period Party, her podcast on iTunes. So this is a great uh, person to dial into if either you or your teen girls have issues with periods. Her work is certainly not unique to paediatrics. In fact, uh, her community is full of women of all ages from all around the world. And uh, I just love her style. We have a really great chat today. So I'm looking forward to bringing you that one in just a little minute. Now, it is the third week into our um, amazing support from Thera Health. Now, Thera Health are the distributors of the Nordic Naturals range. This is a product I'm personally very passionate about. Uh, We take their Arctic D cod liver oil in the lemon flavor, my son and I, for a variety of uh, health reasons, as recommended by his pediatrician and my doctor. Uh, and uh, I'm always a big fan of checking in with a practitioner to see if this might be something that would work for you. So that is my duty of care announcement right there. Uh, but what I love about this brand is the incredible integrity of their sourcing and processing, no heavy metals, an extremely pure and ethically sourced fish oil that is actually exceptionally rare to find. If you did the the dirty work on most of the big name brand fish oils uh, that you often find in cheap big tubs, you know, 100 caps for 10 bucks, that kind of stuff, uh, you would find some pretty scary stuff out. I've reached out to companies over the years and said, can you show me your um, independent mercury level testing? And they don't oblige. And for me, secrecy and an unwillingness to be transparent is always a big fat clue. So when I came across Nordic Naturals as a brand, uh, their transparency and ethics are there for display. You can ask any question and it's answered uh, really, really well. So that is a huge thing they've got going for them. And I just wanted to mention um, 
you know, while we take the liquid, they have caps, they have a whole range uh, that you can explore available at your local health shop. We've provided a couple of links uh, on the show notes today. If you wanted to jump in and uh, have a look at where you might be able to find them. Um, but uh, they're really uh, worth looking at if you're someone who is plagued by a few health issues. So here are some of the signs that you might actually be in need of boosting your omega-3s. Inflammation, uh, arthritis, weight gain, fatigue, and this is all scientific research that shows a connection between omega-3 deficiency and these issues. Heart disease, immune issues, difficulty learning or memorizing things, skin issues, eyesight issues. So that is a huge amount of things that we could potentially be supported by if we made sure we were taking a good amount of omega-3s or getting that in our diet. It's not always easy to get everything in your diet and I call uh, high quality supplements insurance really. They're our base level so that we make sure we get what we need even if we're not getting what we need in our diet sometimes. Um, This was a study I found interesting in 2010. The American College of Nutrition actually did a study on omega-3, D and A vitamin supplementation and it was a pediatric study and uh, they found uh, it was a cluster randomised study if you want to know the type Um, and they found that... uh, in the children, in the group of children that were given a high dose of omega-3 and DNA vitamins, as well as one multivitamin to kind of cover all the bases, uh, the doctor's visits for upper respiratory tract infections decreased anywhere between 36 and 58%. Now, that's a pretty cool study and a very nice finding uh, in that research. In Norway, in Norway, a Norwegian study of 20,000 people showed that adults who supplemented cod liver oil were 30% less likely to have symptoms of depression. Uh, and that is because omega-3s are shown to improve mood and brain function. So that's just a couple of little windows into uh, the power of omega-3 supplementation if you are struggling with any of these issues. Uh, I uh, take it because it is very good for supporting the reduction of leptin and inflammation, and that is part of my chronic inflammatory response mold picture. Uh, So it's a very important supplement for me and for my son, who's obviously mold affected as well to a lesser degree, thank goodness, for my husband's ironclad gene situation. Um, But uh, we take it every day. We take the liquid in the lemon form, but if you prefer soft gels, there's that as an option too. And in fact, speaking of the soft gels, I have another giveaway for you this week. Recommended retail price is $45.10. And you will get a bottle of, well, a kind of container, I guess. It's not a bottle if it's not a liquid. That's the bartender in me talking, um, of the soft gel caps. So 90 soft gel caps made from 100% wild Arctic cod. Uh, No other fish oils or synthetic additives are ever used. And I'm giving one away for free this week. So all you have to do, same as the giveaway two weeks ago where we gave away a bottle of the liquid, is pop to the show notes and just say that you'd love to try it. Uh, I'm a huge fan of this range. 
and I would never promote or support anything that I wasn't a huge fan of personally myself. It is part of my integrity promise to you. Uh, and so it brings me great joy to have the uh, TheraHealth support as the uh, podcast sponsor this month. So anyway, that's the giveaway. Head to the show notes and uh, I really look forward to announcing the winner next week. But as I said, you can always pop to a health shop. I love health shops because they have qualified health practitioners there, often a naturopath or a nutritionist, and you can just run a few symptoms by them. Uh, You can talk to your GP or your integrative practitioner and say you'd really like to do some blood tests and have a look at your omega-3 situation because of these issues that you're experiencing and maybe, just maybe, it'll be a really great boost for you. Um, There's a lot of doctors that say there's nothing wrong with taking a spoon of cod liver oil a day, regardless of whether you go to see a doctor or not. But uh, given I don't want to be um, giving out health advice and deciding what you do or do not need, I always recommend chatting to a practitioner. Anywho, Uh, A big welcome to our new Lotox Club members this week. It is growing in size by the day. This month's theme is clean indoor air and there's been some great discussions and this week we have a wonderful building biologist joining us in the Lotox Club to answer a ton of clubber questions. So each month we have a bit of a topic, a theme. It doesn't mean you can't chat about whatever Lotox thing you want to chat about in the Facebook group, but this month it's all about clean indoor air and I'm really looking forward to the club exclusive webinar. And then next weekend, of course, we've got our three-day boost, which is like a bit of a mini challenge where we all talk about the things that we're doing to move the needle on this topic in our own lives. And so uh, that's going to be the three things that you have done based on all the information in the monthly club ebook that we've, we publish each month on each topic. Uh, for our Lotox Club members and uh, and share with the group what you've worked on. So it could be installing like a little shoe rack outside your door so that no one's bringing shoes inside the house anymore, just as a really great example, because shoes are carriers of all sorts of things, everything from glyphosate sprayed in the parks to dust uh, to heavy metals. They can be a bit of a... Uh, a bit of a source of toxins. So we definitely don't want to be wearing our shoes inside the house. Uh, But I'm really looking forward to all that. Uh, It's been another great month in the club and welcome to our new members. You can join by just hopping over to the Lotox Life website and under the explore tab, join the club is literally the first option. So it makes it super easy. Otherwise, we always pop a link in the show notes as well. It's just $49 Australian for the whole year. And that equates to about 30 bucks American uh, and about 28 euro. So it's great value. You have like minds to share in your wins, triumphs and challenges. And we have a super good time. So without further ado, I'm going to go straight into this awesome chat with Nicole Jardim, empowering young women to start right when it comes to their periods, banishing fears, misconceptions, and starting to develop a really powerful literacy uh, where we're in tune with our bodies and we know how our bodies are talking to us to be able to be on the same team instead of having the period be enemy number one, which has been the traditional dialogue in women's health. And I think it is a really exciting mind shift 
and one that if we can give to our girls young, we can give them a very, very excellent health outlook uh, with that empowerment piece around periods. So I hope the parents of girls and the girls who are listening to this week's show love it. And please do consider sharing it with someone you know that is in that situation or that time of life, uh, because I reckon it's going to be a bit of a game changer to discover Nicole's wonderful work. Enjoy. Hello, Nicole. How are you? Hi, Alex. I'm great. How are you? I am excellent. Thank you. And really excited for this chat about the earlier phase of uh, womanhood and getting your period and establishing cycles. I think it's something that a lot of girls, I know I was absolutely terrified <laughs> when it happened to me. And, um, and I, I didn't come from a family that was like, okay, sweetie, this is what we're going to do. My mom's French and she just went, welcome to the club. <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess that's the talk done then. And, uh, um, (laughs) and it's just such an amazing time to be a girl right now with all of these brilliant, empowering resources, um, such as the ones you provide. And I know you're passionate about the late teens and going into adulthood, but when I reached out to you, you, you were like, yes, let's talk about this. A very important thing. So I'm very, very excited for what this show is going to help our parents in the low-tox community navigate with their kids. It's going to be awesome. Me too. I'm mm. so excited to talk about this topic because it really is something that we need to share more about. And like we're, I know we'll talk about this, but I feel like there is still a lot of stigma attached to menstruation and a lot of just mortification (laughs) as Mm. a preteen or a teenager when it comes to your period. So yeah, we should totally dive in. Lots to share. So for the listeners who haven't come across your work before, Nicole, you have been putting out incredible content for, uh, well, years now to support uh, women. What was it that got you interested as a health coach Uh, because I think, you know, health coaching is such a wide thing, right? And I still struggle to niche down and help people in one very specific specific way as a health coach myself. Um, But you are very, very specific about who you help and how you support them. And that is all about people's periods. And your knowledge is incredible. and, uh, And your community is obviously just so appreciative of what you do to support them. How did it become interesting to you to go down that road? (laughs) It's a good question. It's funny because I am the most unlikely period girl. Uh (laughs) It was not something that I had ever any interest in uh, because I had terrible periods. And for me, it was just something that changed my life when I was a teenager. I remember it started probably I was about 14 or so and I started developing heavier and heavier periods and then they became more and more painful. And I got to the point where, you know, I was missing school and I was terrified of going to school because I thought I would leak through my school uniform, you know, being a teenager, it's mortifying on a good day. So (laughs) on your heaviest period day, it's just like, let me just leave this planet right now. And so it really went on for a number of years and my mom had had really terrible periods too. So she was just kind of like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to do to help you here. I feel like this is normal. And that went on for years. And then I started to notice my period coming later and later. And so I got to the point where it was coming every three or four months. 
-hmm. And I thought, okay, this is kind of a blessing in disguise, but then it would come and then it would be a disaster. So I finally went to, right? Yes, exactly. Just terrible. And then the pain and popping all the pills and just all the things. And so I finally went to my mom's gynecologist and she immediately wrote a prescription, a prescription for the pill. And that was, that was it. I was thrilled because I felt like I was finally going to have my life back. I would have normal, regular cycles. And so that was really the beginning of all of this because I started to develop all of these side effects. I actually feel like I kind of became the poster child for pill side effects because my hair was falling out. Yeah, good times. Um, I I had hair loss, I had joint pain, I had horrible gut health issues, I had melasma all over my face. I remember I was getting UTIs and chronic yeast infections. It was just a disaster. And that went on for a little while. I saw many, many doctors. Nobody really had any solutions, much less answers. And I just gave up eventually. And I, I saw an acupuncturist and that truly was a catalyst for me in doing the work that I do now. And at that time I was studying film production in school. That was a big dream. I was doing that work. I loved it. And my period was definitely getting in the way. So I saw this acupuncturist and he was the first person to suggest that the pill was maybe a problem. And that's when I, I decided to come off of it and it completely changed everything. I, I did acupuncture. I changed my diet. I changed my lifestyle. I was in college too. So that was really hard. And, but I knew that I needed to do something. I, I had to take a drastic measures at that point. And so um, I did that. And then I got super interested in this work because I saw such great results. And then people started asking me for advice. And so eventually I transitioned out of film production and started and studied to be a health coach and then took additional training and functional nutrition and women's health coaching and things like that. So that's how I got here. Amazing. And gosh, where do we start with this? So shall we start Mm. by talking about that like establishment of a cycle? Uh, That I don't even remember my own story in in this. All I remember is that I got my first period at dance class and that was mortifying. (laughs) Oh, girl. Poor thing. I just remember like feigning an ankle injury or something because we were doing like jetes across the stage and and just um, going to the bathroom thinking there's something and then I just kind of sat and quietly waited for my mom to pick me up um, and it, it just oh, yeah, it, it, yeah I think we all have that memory of that time and um, and and then obviously you know your body is trying to establish a cycle what's actually happening and what can go wrong in that early phase for it to not get established well? You know, I I think that we have to remember that when it comes to getting a period for the first time, our bodies are going from an endocrine system that has never done this before to Mm. an endocrine system that is now essentially releasing an egg and going through the whole hormonal cycle And so I I always say that we need to take baby steps first or our body needs to take baby steps. And so there are going to be hiccups along the way. And it's so interesting because I have received probably hundreds of emails from girls between the ages of 11 and 14 who are just desperate for advice about their first periods. And what's most striking to me is how many of them think they're totally dying and need reassurance from me, a complete Mm -hmm. stranger to tell them that they're not. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is why I think that having ongoing education on 
I call it the mechanics of menstruation and yeah. really celebrating our first periods is, is such a, an important aspect of, you know, just getting into womanhood, I suppose you could say. Mm. So when can it, I, can I ask then, do you think over medicalization has played a part in modern girls still finding the period like a, a foreign thing that they have no, no part in feeling empowered about, like it's this problem rather than a, a beautiful thing to tune into? Oh, yes, I definitely think so. I, I think that, you know, that would tie into period shame and mm. the feelings that we have as a culture towards yeah. the menstrual cycle. And so for sure, I do really think that, that that is a problem in that we don't really talk about this. I mean, like you said, right, you just got your period in dance class and there was no real preparation for it, right? Mm. Yeah. It came out of nowhere. And I think there might have been like one lesson in uh, physical health class. Um, and that was it. Like it really just wasn't something we talked about. But this yeah. was this was the mid 80s as well. So there's that well, as well. It's, it's not much <laughs> different now, I got to tell you. Really? I mean, that's yeah, really. I mean, that's what's so unfortunate is that. We as a society, I mean, at least in the US, I don't know for sure what's happening in other countries. I know that in, you know, in Holland, there is sex education that's, you know, appropriate sex education for uh, kids starting in, I think, pre-K, so somewhere around four or five. And, you know, it's like body understanding, it's body literacy more than anything. And they, their rates of, uh, you know, sex during the teen years, uh, teenage pregnancy, kids having sex before they're ready and regretting it. All of that is significantly lower than it is in the U.S. And in the U.S., we have a lot of abstinence-only programs. We don't have a widespread menstrual education program that I know of. I feel like it's happening on a micro level, but certainly not happening anywhere near on a national level. And as a result, there is so much misunderstanding. There's so much ignorance around the menstrual cycle when we're fertile versus when we're not, uh, you know, how often you can get pregnant, all of these things that we should know, I think, especially girls who, you know, should know this information and they don't, I feel like it's their birthright and they go into their teenage years completely clueless. And so more than anything, what I think is that as parents, we just need to have these conversations from an earlier age. I mean, kids at a really young age have zero attachment to, to any of this. And so they'll ask questions and it's, it's us adults who bring the weirdness to the conversations. We, you know, we're, we're freaked out when they're asking about our tampons or the blood that's in the toilet or whatever, you know, or our boobs. You know, so like, I think that that is, you know, really mortifying for a lot of us and I, I get it, but I do really believe that if we don't bring our, our weird attachments about what's up with the menstrual cycle or our sexuality to the conversation when you're a three or four year old asks about it, they're going to just shrug and just go about their business. I mean, I've had so many of my friends reach out to me because they all have young kids and they've said something along the lines of, yeah, so my son asked me about my tampon today and, or my daughter found my, you know, like menstrual cup on the countertop or whatever. And, and they asked questions and, 
So, and it's so cute because they're like, oh, okay, that's where babies come from. Cool. Good to know. And then they just go, they go off and they play. So, <laughs> so I think true. it's true. Right? I remember a girlfriend of mine had a baby and because we had told Seb from an early age, you know, how everything works and what happens, he goes, is her vagina really sore today? <laughs> and he was like about five. <laughs> amazing he'll be mortified when I tell that story at his 21st (laughs) no doubt (laughs) no doubt yeah (laughs) that's so good I'm definitely gonna I'm definitely gonna remember that one I feel like I need to quote that one it's so good you can go for it and so that's really what it is yeah Mm. right thanks I I think that's what it comes down to I think it's just that if we can just have these conversations in a, in a matter of fact way with our kids, there isn't going to be this, their own stigma attached to it as we get older. And I think that, you know, there's books of course, and you know, you can have that conversation with your daughters and it's going to completely change their perspective on their periods and their menstrual cycle as a whole. I'm convinced, I don't have any, don't have any research on it, but I'm convinced that because we, many of us have such traumatic first period experiences and then early period experiences in our teenage years, that really shapes how we not only view our menstrual cycles throughout our life, but I think it potentially has the effect of um, worsening menstrual symptoms because we have such a negative association with that aspect of our health. So really, I I think it, it becomes one of these things where it's just, it's a crucial conversation to have or multiple conversations to be having. And the education is so important for, you know, how many people I've spoken to in their thirties and forties who don't know that you're only fertile for 12 to 24 hours of your cycle and that, you know, an egg will be released and it's, it's alive or it survives for, you know, a max of 24 hours. And then it, the conditions to get pregnant go away and we don't know that. And yet we are medicating our cycles with birth control, hormonal birth control for decades on end, thinking that, you know, we are protecting ourselves. And so there's a lot, I think there's just so much misinformation that feeds into various aspects of our, our menstrual and reproductive health. And that I really believe needs to change. And it can with education and open dialogue from a younger age. hundred percent. If I had actually had like Nicole Jardine come and sit with me and maybe Jolene Brighton comes over for tea as well. And we all have a chat about all the ways that the pill is going to destroy so many nutrient levels in my body and create gut issues and all the other things. I would have been like, oh, okay, yeah, I might skip that one. Right. <laughs> and then right. to get the education about natural contraception, we did a show about that a couple of years ago, and just in case anyone's listening to this and going, I need to know more about this right now, check out the episode I did with Francesca Naish, an incredible naturopath um, who, uh, whose clinic, that's one of their specialisations, is helping clients with that. And, um, and, you know, where, where is this information? It is still not out there in the mainstream, which is crazy. Not really. It really isn't. It's so true. I mean, I think it's getting better. And mm. obviously, you know, I've just written a book. Other people, Jolene has a book. There are a lot of other people who have yeah. books as well on this topic. And I do think that there is, is certainly a push to bring periods into the mainstream. Mm. But from the perspective of puberty 
and kids and, and teaching them that really isn't yet. Not that mm-hmm. I have seen. Yeah. And it, it's tricky because while we pretend to have um, secular education, we actually don't. There is a lot of religious influence in different cultures all around the world, as well as in um, white Anglo uh, countries as well. And I feel like if we can just completely uh, secularize in education, it just gives kids a much better foundation, much less complicated foundation on the physical health topic. Um, and, uh, in terms of, um, physical health that, that for me seems like it's one of the big boundaries and the the earlier we can realize that is actually going to create a much more stable children and teenagers. If they know all this stuff, then it's just inarguable that that is the way forward in this particular area of education. Oh my goodness. I could not agree with you more. I feel Mm. like the period shame struggle is so real. Mm. And, you know, when you think about just thinking back to that time and the fact that I know for sure that it's still happening where, you know, you have a tampon or a pad and you've got to have it in a little pouch or you are shoving it up your sleeve because you don't want people to see, or you don't know, you don't want to go to the bathroom and have those with you. And so people know you're on your period. It's like, it's inappropriate to talk about your period or it's not inappropriate, but it's, you know, generally speaking, the consensus is that it is Mm. inappropriate. So there are, you know, there are multiple areas in our lives where it's just not appropriate or okay to talk about your menstrual cycle. Where are we at with, um, with the cultural disadvantages that still exist when it comes to girls and menstruating? Like, it's incredible, you know, that film that won the Oscar last year. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but it just makes you realise how many girls around the world are still struggling and how this is affecting their education. Like we talk about, oh, boohoo, you know, I had to miss a couple of days because I had a heavy period. Like I had a couple of friends as well or maybe some endometriosis. But that pales in comparison when we think about what some girls around the world are still going through and how totally shunned and shamed they are. It's nuts. Yeah, I know. I agree completely. I feel like there are a few things here. I think what comes to mind is Nepal and, you know, they, their practice of um, using menstrual huts for their girls and women to go into during the time that they're menstruating. So they're not allowed in the house has been really catastrophic and it is finally illegal now. And um, in fact, there have been a few people who have been arrested for, yes, because there have been some deaths still after it was made illegal. And so people have been arrested. I'm not entirely sure what's happened and what the outcome has been. But so it really does seem that that seems to be changing. But that's a practice that, I mean, I'm imagining that no one really in the West can quite comprehend And it's that, you know, you're considered unclean during your period. And so you're sent to be in a little hut outside of your house, sometimes a little further away from your house. And this happens in the wintertime. Sometimes there's no heating, there's no electricity, there's no light. A lot of these girls are sent by themselves or with with a sister or with a mother. Uh, Women and girls have died of snake bites, of smoke inhalation because they light a fire because it's cold. Um, They've been raped. They've been killed. It's insane. And so finally, the government's done something about that. And so I, you know, I've heard from many women around the world 
women in Pakistan and women in India just describing the, their frustration with feeling unclean or feeling like they are not able to just participate in daily life and, and do the things they would normally do while they're on their period. So that I think is just an ongoing challenge. I mean, it really is. And then, you know, we think about what's happening and in other countries like the US and the UK and places like that and more developed countries and there, you know, the issues there are, are period inequity and, and that's really uh, about women who are living in poverty, uh, women who are in prison and, uh, you know, women who are homeless. And so getting them adequate period protection, period supplies is extremely challenging. And how do we go about doing that? So there are a lot of organizations now that are really involved in that work and which is amazing. I, I really admire uh, a friend of mine, her name's Jennifer Weiss-Wolf. She wrote a book called um, Periods Gone Public. And so she has an organization called it's, it's periodequity.org. And I always defer to that because I feel like she's just, she's so knowledgeable on this topic and she's been a, such a leader for a long time now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we really have major issues. We have something known as the tampon tax in many of our states still. It, it exists in a number of other countries too. And again, that's essentially what that is, is just a, a luxury tax and it's used for luxury items. Whereas we all know that tampons and <laughs> There's pads- nothing luxurious about a tampon. Not luxurious <laughs> at all. Exactly. But very much a necessity. So yeah. very slowly but surely we're changing the laws and- Things are moving forward, but it's been a really slow, tiresome process. Mm. Um, and it kind of feels like the slow, tiresome process of equality in general, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh my God. It's I'm like <laughs> hardcore rolling my eyes over here. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yes. One day we will get to a place where all women can choose how to care for their bodies. We will. Oh, here's hoping. Yeah. Yes. I, um, yes. I'm trusting that that is the case. <laughs> I think we're on our way. We are, yeah. we are well on our way. For sure. So um, something that I think we've almost sort of touched on it already is the normalization of discussions and um, normalizing um, period health as mm -hmm. something that we just talk to with our daughters. What are some of your tips to actually make that feel like a comfortable easygoing conversation um, from parent to child? Well, like I was saying before, I think that, you know, being, being totally cool about, you know, about these conversations or questions when they arise is our first step. I really believe that and not bringing our own preconceived notions about our menstrual cycle or about our bodies into these conversations with our kids, but just allowing them to be curious without shutting them down because I feel there's a tendency to do that as well from the very beginning is so important. And like you said too, you know, using the language correctly. So using vulva and using vagina and using, you know, breasts and penis and things like that, that are so uncomfortable for a lot of people to say still. So I really think that we have to be cognizant of that too, because when you're using the correct language and the anatomy, then kids understand, you know, they understand what you know, what's off limits, especially when they're, you know, confronted by people who, you know, might be in, you know, not have good intentions. And so all of that plays into it as well, too. But I really do think that if we can just have open dialogue with them, then that changes everything and continue that. And then also 
think about, you know, get some books as well, read them, take a look at them, see what they're saying in these books about menstruation and about puberty and changes and what happens to their bodies and think about what it was like for you and what you would really have wanted, because that's really what it comes down to. We all wanted our parents to just tell us that it was going to be okay and explain what was happening in a way that wasn't uncomfortable and awkward. And I think that a lot of us tend to wait too long. We wait until our daughters are 10, 11, 12, and it's too late by then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fully mortified. It by starts to become taboo, right? Yeah. yeah. The self-consciousness right? so has kicked in, which I think kicks totally. in around nine or 10, like from yeah, a psychological like point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so it does. true. Mm. That and like also too, I, you know, I was thinking that, you know, we could, we could really just ask, be asking questions. And again, from a place of, you know, no judgment or anything like that, but just asking questions about how they're feeling. Because a lot of these books now too, they talk about that. How do you, how do you connect with your child when they're starting to push into that age range and, you know, and ask them, you know, what changes they're experiencing. And because a lot of the time it just starts with mood changes and, Mm. you know, personality shifts. And so I think that really connecting with them in that way can be really helpful too. And just getting educated about your own body and not being afraid to talk about your own body is huge. And so Mm. I hear this a lot from women now. They're like, yes, I've bought your book and I know so much more now and I can't wait to share this with my daughter. So instead of being, you know, and having trepidation around it, a lot of women now are so excited to talk about this time with their daughters. And you Mm. could totally throw your daughter a period party if you wanted as well. That's the thing. (laughs) I saw that that was a thing these days. And I'm thinking about the average teenager and wondering how that'd go down with most of them. (laughs) total like kill me now mom I know right mom stop you're just too much I can't even handle you I I don't know I think back to that time my mom took me out to lunch I was really thrilled I don't know why I was a period girl from a long time ago apparently but I didn't obviously yeah Yeah, I know I was psyched about it so I do think that it is one of those things where you could get you could get I think you could get them excited about it yeah and I think what you're saying there really for me comes down to sometimes the parent needs to get their own literacy around periods and uh, sexual organs and how it all works before having the conversation. Like you don't want to talk a different language unless you've developed a bit of fluency yourself. Of course you're going to feel really unconfident um, broaching that subject if you aren't well-versed. So get reading. And so obviously you have a book. Um, What is the title? Go on, share it for everybody. Oh yeah. It's called Fix Your Period. Mm-hmm. And it is basically the culmination of about 10 years of work that I've been doing. And really more than anything, I, I wanted to give anyone who has a period and is struggling answers and solid solutions, because that is something that I just could not for the life of me get when I was younger. So I wrote it as much for my 21-year-old self as I did for everyone else who is real, who has a period and is just like, are you kidding me? Is this it? Do I get birth control or nothing? And these are my only options and I'm, no one can give me really solid answers and solutions. So that's really what it's about. And I I created a a six week protocol for it as well, again, so that we can walk through the foundations because we tend to miss that a lot of the times. We don't realize how much impacts our cycles. Mm, Absolutely. And I I think um, so important is that people know that they're not weird or there's not something wrong with them 
if they're having cycle issues. It's just, and yeah. it, it's, you've got to turn it around into a curious project, you know, like, oh, I wonder what's causing this and let's identify it. And then it becomes, I don't know, maybe that's me and my excitement for research and being <laughs> a nerd. <laughs> maybe someone would right, actually normally just say, like, yeah. can someone fix this for me? <laughs> Yeah, I know. I do kind of joke about that. Actually, I've always said that, you know, most of the time modern women take their bodies to the doctor, like you'd take your car to the mechanic mm. in the hopes that they'll figure it out and fix that thing because you ain't got time for that. And it's true. We really are like that. And mm. so that's where, you know, I felt that I wanted to create a, you know, a book that had serious menstruation education. Like you would mm. understand exactly what's going on under the hood proverbial hood so that you knew <laughs> yeah. that this is what's up and so you're not feeling around in the dark you're not trying to figure things out you're not going to your doctor just hoping that they have answers you are now educated you're empowered you can advocate for yourself because talking about period shame brings up gender bias in medicine and the fact that generally speaking we are not taken seriously and that is a massive issue medical gaslighting is a big problem and for women right exactly and we'll go to the doctor will and for years on end in many cases as you know with something like endometriosis or period pain or heavy bleeding or whatever it is and um you know we'll just be ignored for the most part or we'll be told we'll come back or try the birth control pill or try this medication there really aren't any sustainable solutions and oftentimes women just say that i don't feel like i was heard i don't feel like this is being taken as seriously as I, I need it to be taken. So that, you know, it's just ongoing problems along those lines. And the way you combat that is to get in the know, get to know your flow and start to understand what your unique menstrual cycle is so that you can have these conversations with a doctor and preferably a doctor who is listening to you and taking your concerns seriously, because ultimately at the end of the day, your health is everything. Your health is the most important thing you're going to have. And when, and we know this, when you're, when your period is so heavy and so debilitating that you're losing days, sometimes even weeks out of your month, yeah. that is half your life. That's yeah, gone. absolutely. Yeah. So important. And so when we're talking to our teenagers uh, or, or preteens about menstruation, I feel like it'd be really useful to bring the discussion of the power of food into that chat about, you know, especially if you've had maybe a historically fussy eater, this could be a real opportunity to get them to understand the magic of food and how it can help our bodies work better. What are some of the key things that we can do when it comes to food, like period nourishing, cycle nourishing foods? What do you recommend? Yeah, you know, I will say, and a lot of people don't realize that food is obviously so impactful, not only for adults, but for teenagers as mm. well, in particular, because like we were saying before, the endocrine system is sort of getting its sea legs a little bit trying to figure out what's going on, or at least your cycle is. And, you know, and a lot of the time, I should just, I want to preface it, this by saying that a lot of the time, you know, it's, it's pretty common and sort of normal for the most part to, for the first few years of a girl cycle to have, you know, 
periods that are really, really heavy or that you skip a period one month or a few months sometimes. And this is because the, the follicle sometimes that follicle on your ovary tends to be smaller, a little more underdeveloped than an adult woman's. And that's, again, just your endocrine system trying to figure things out. Your ovaries are just trying to get the hang of, of doing this whole ovulation thing. So it is really important for us to know that and to not jump straight to the birth control pill and instead, I'll segue in now, to food <laughs> because mm. that can be you know so beneficial. And what I talk about a lot with my clients is that you can really change a lot of things. I mean, I, you know, and I know this is kind of cliche, but I feel like the leafy green vegetables and the cruciferous vegetables are so incredibly important. Mm -hmm. I joked in my book that Popeye was totally right about the spinach. <laughs> they really will help. And I feel like they're, you know, just one of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet. And if we can, if, if a teenager will eat those, then more power to them. I know it's a little bit challenging, especially with, you know, quote unquote picky eaters. Mm. But I do think that because they are so nutrient dense, I mean, when you think about magnesium, for instance, uh, magnesium is high in a lot of these leafy green vegetables, and it's been shown to reduce PMS-like symptoms. So anxiety, sleeplessness, bloating, breast tenderness, and it really helps to support progesterone production, which is what we need, especially as teenagers, because that little follicle isn't you know, as developed as maybe an adult person's would be. Mm. So it's something to think about when you're you know, focusing on what to eat. So magnesium rich foods are so crucial. I think calcium is another one as well. Obviously it's supportive of our bones, but it's also supportive of our mood too. And I think with, as a preteen and a teenager, I don't know, my moods were all over the place. I feel like mm. it was a bit of a nightmare, but maybe we all are. And <laughs> so I do think that whatever we can do to support ourselves in that way is so crucial. And then like other things too, there's B vitamins, there's folate, there's iron, um, you know, there's vitamin C, vitamin E, and all of these are going to support your ovarian function in some way or another. So that will help to support your your not only your ovarian function, but your menstrual cycle as a whole. So you're going to have more consistent periods. You're going to have less period pain. You're going to ovulate more consistently. And ovulation is so crucial because ovulation helps us make the majority of our progesterone. If we don't make enough progesterone, we will run into these problems of much heavier periods, lots of spotting before our periods, as well as the mood issues. So it's super important to be thinking about ovulation as a vital part of our overall health and, and our cycle as well. And so the, the leafy greens are great. I think too, um, blending them into smoothies is a great way to do this for anyone who is like, oh, don't make me eat the spinach, Nicole, um, mm. <laughs> because that's you know going to be really helpful. I also think too, protein and fat certainly cannot be overlooked. And when we think about blood sugar, blood sugar imbalances are so important for our menstrual cycle. When we are blood sugar balances, Blood sugar imbalances are such a problem. I mean, they're worldwide epidemic issues that we're now facing as, you know, a whole, as, as a human race, really. And I think that if we can start to get our blood sugar under control by having more protein or having more healthy fats with a meal or with a snack, we're going to find that our menstrual cycles, our, the pain that we experience and our regularity are going to improve drastically. Because when you think about insulin, which is the, you know, the blood sugar balancing hormone, it actually has a direct effect on our ovaries. And so it causes your ovaries to produce more testosterone, which 
actually tends to be higher testosterone that is in during this preteen and teenage time because we're just making more testosterone. It's just kind of what happens. And so we have this testosterone surge and then we have a situation where, you know, our ovaries are starting to make more testosterone because our blood sugar and our insulin are all over the place. And then we run into major issues. Our period disappears. This was definitely my problem. I had facial hair. My period had disappeared, like I was saying to you in the beginning for like three or four months and wasn't really coming. I was super bloated. I was, I felt like, you know, I was putting on weight. I felt like I definitely had those symptoms of PCOS but I didn't ever really develop polycystic ovary syndrome. It was just the symptoms related to my diet and my lifestyle and just being a teenager in general. So it is really important to think about our blood sugar stability during this time. Although I know it's challenging with teenagers, but it's something for parents to think about anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And I think my advice to teenagers, parents with teenagers is always just focus on the meals that they do have at home and don't stress yourself out about them having to go with the flow and the peer pressure of, you know, everyone's going to McDonald's. I don't want to be embarrassed if I um, say, no, I don't want that. Like there are some very real, I have to fit in cravings as a teen. And so, you know, fine, go with that, but you've got breakfast and you've got them for dinner still mostly. So just pack a whole bunch of goodness into those meals and make that your focus. I could not agree with you more. I totally am on that train as well. And I think that it's so hard as a parent, I imagine, <laughs> to, <laughs> to have have no control over some of these things. But I agree. Just take what you can and the rest will work itself out. We're so resilient. That's the thing. It's so remarkable, our bodies. They're so resilient to these kinds of fluctuations and things will absolutely work out. And I do think that uh, you know, when you when you have these conversations with your kids, they're going to know that they're going to know what foods work and what foods don't like when they're aware of the effects of eating a half a pizza, they'll you know, they'll, they might make a better choice the next time around. So I don't believe I agree with you. I don't believe that you should deny any of this stuff, like let them eat it and see how they feel, yeah. because ultimately they're going to eventually make the right decisions. I feel like yeah, we've, all, we've all done that for the most part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you, if you've had those good conversations around food and the effects of food, um, that's in there, right? And then they go, oh, I feel horrible after that, whatever that, you know, the pizza they had or whatever. And they're going to start making those connections and making different choices. They really do. Um, speaking of acne, um, skin, a lot of teenagers are put on the pill because of their skin. And I remember my first friend that I heard about this happening to was in the ninth grade, year nine here. And um, so she would have been, what, 14, I think. And like, we all talked about it and, oh my gosh, you're on the pill. And, um, but her skin cleared right up and that can be a very alluring proposition. And we've had a couple of great um, skin specialist podcasts with um, Asha Everts in the past for anyone who wants to go deep into that subject. But you would have helped people through this a lot in terms of fear of coming off the pill or fear of um, actually doing lifestyle intervention instead of taking the pill when it's just such a an alluring proposition to just pop these and your skin problems are going to go away. How do we deal with that concern? Yes, it's very alluring. And, and it's the same with the pill for any period problem, actually. It's, you know, it's the band-aid for every single period, or period issue that we have. And so I think with acne, um, you know, the issue is, is that I think I just try to educate anyone who is considering it 
around the fact that it's never actually doing what you think it's doing. It's just totally shutting your body up. The acne is just a symptom. It's a message from your body. If we know how to read the signals and the signs from our bodies, which is you know body literacy, then we're able to say, okay, well, this acne is happening for a reason. Why might that be? Let me figure out how to address it. And we're never, ever taught that. So of course we're going to take the pill because that also fits the cultural narrative that taking a pill is easy and it's simple. And that's the way to, to address most of our health related problems. So I would say that, yes, we have to figure out why the acne is happening in the first place. And I almost always go back to the GI tract and your liver and how those two are functioning. And generally speaking, most of our livers and GI tracts suck. <laughs> We're just not doing well at all with those. So that's, of course, where it's coming from. And I think, too, we have to consider the fact that what, you know, what did our kids eat as kids? And, you know, now that they're, you know, preteens and teenagers and, you know, their, their menstrual cycles are kicking into gear, puberty is kicking into gear, um, that, you know, what has, what, what's the foundation been like in the lead up to that? And this isn't to blame anybody, of course, but it is just to be cognizant of the fact that these, you know, this all plays into our health over the long term. And so as a teenager, I found that when, when a girl or any teenager really can start to work on, do a little bit of gut healing and just focus on supporting those liver detoxification pathways, they're, you know, they're going to see a massive improvement with their acne. And it doesn't really take a lot. I feel like I was saying before, when you're so young, it really does not take a lot of effort at all. Like mm. talk to me when you're 45 or whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a whole so different true. ball game kids. Yeah. So you really are, your, your body is so new still that you really don't have, you know, a lot of issues happening and you can, like I said, you know, you can support phase one and phase two of liver detoxification. Uh, DIM, the supplement DIM seems to work really well for acne for a lot of people. So that's a, a phase one supporter. And again, you know, I really recommend not just like popping a bunch of DIM, but, you know, really working on not only your gut health, but just your food as well, or sorry, your liver uh, with your food and then thinking about a supplement. But see if that helps because ultimately, you pay now or you pay later. That's the other thing because it's going to come back. You eventually will want to come off the pill or will need to, whether it's for side effects or because you want to get pregnant and you know have children. And so I really think that it's important for us to remember that it's going to catch up at some point or another. I mean, it's the pill can be okay for serious issues like endometriosis, for instance, but ultimately you don't want to use it for a lifestyle thing like acne. Yeah. So it's part of an SOS plan and that makes sense, but that doesn't mean you don't work on the long game. Totally. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. Because our hormones, that's the other thing too, that we don't realize is that what's going on with you in your teens, twenties and thirties is definitely going to impact you in perimenopause and menopause. There's mm. a cumulative effect, which mm -hmm. is not fun. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a whole other subject. Whole <laughs> when you were talking about, yeah, when you were talking about establishing the period um, and how normal it is for, you know, you skip one and, then, and I'm like, wow, this is sounding a lot like perimenopause. Yes. Um, mm. I liken it to that. That's yeah. so funny you said that. I actually, I joked about that in the book and I've always kind of joked about it. The fact that it's very erratic and you know, you're, 
at the tail, you're at the beginning and then you're at the tail end mm. of the menstrual life cycle. And so it makes complete sense. You're going up and then you're winding down. And I, you know, it really is very similar. The heavy periods, the skipping ovulation, the skipping periods, the spotting, the crazy erratic moods. It's all essentially the same. You just happen to be a teenager or in your forties. <laughs> mm. They handed it to women because we can handle this stuff. That's why. <laughs> that is why, Alex, no doubt. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Too funny. Um, well, yeah. not funny, haha. But no. anyway, <laughs> I know, right? I just like I really want women to just know that if you take care of yourself, even if you just do the bare minimum, mm. you perimenopause does not have to be a nightmare. And I know mm. that that's like a whole other conversation. But again, it's the the story in our culture that. PMS and puberty and perimenopause are all these nightmarish things and, and pregnancy and, you know, all of it it's and postpartum. We, and they're all begin with P's. That's so weird, but yeah, mm. they, you know, it's like one of those <laughs> things that we've been conditioned to believe are going to be terrible. And yeah. we are the ones that are responsible for changing the conversation around that. I love that. That is so yeah. good. Um, and it, it's so important, isn't it? Because it really is a poor me victim story. And, yes. <laughs> and, and so how do we change that? Let's talk about that because I think that's going to help us talk to our girls better um, so that totally. they don't emulate this intergenerational poor me story and we can end <laughs> this thing. Yes, exactly. Right. I know the trauma, you know, I wanted to read this quote to you because it, to me, really sums up a lot of what we've been talking about and a lot of what the story is around our periods. Um, it was by Dr. Christiane Northrup, and she wrote a book called Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. I feel like she's the OG when it comes to menstrual cycles and hormones. And so she says, nothing in our society, with the exception of violence and fear, has been more effective in keeping women in their place than the degradation of the menstrual cycle. And that, to me, really sums up so much of where the feelings we have about our cycles and our periods comes from. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's so, it's, I mean, it's so loaded and so heavy, but ultimately. So loaded. Can I right? tell you where my mind went when you read that? Yes. Oh, tell me. It went straight to those derogatory kind of um, throwaway lines about like the colleague in the office. Oh, don't worry. You know, she's probably just got PMS. Mm-hmm. And like having a period means we are weaker in a business environment. That's where my mind went straight away. I'm so glad you reflected that because it really is exactly where mind does, my mind goes as well. It's, you know, I feel like hormones generally, women's hormones need a bit of a revamp. They need a bit of a makeover because- <laughs> we need a hot we, new marketing campaign. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what we need because especially perimenopause and menopause, definitely. Um, because, you know, we talk about them in a really- kind of crappy way. We say things like, oh, she's so hormonal or I'm so hormonal or I'm so PMSy or she's so bitchy because she's PMSing. You know, we say these things or we say them about ourselves and men say that as well too. And it really is like a running joke in our society. And if there was ever something that needed a makeover, it would be PMS for sure. Because it's a condition that 
you know, I, I think that it's more symptoms that are telling you something than a syndrome necessarily. Cause I don't believe that we just all have a syndrome every month. I'm not really buying into that one. And again, right. And, but I really do think that ultimately it's, we have to be the ones who change the conversation around hormones and women's health and, and change it to a more positive, you know, just, it has to just be more positive ultimately. And right now it's just so negative. And it starts from puberty. I mean, like, how do parents talk about puberty? They don't mm. say anything. Yeah. No, they no. really don't. No. And um, and power to the parents out there who are having these conversations, by the way. And you're here today because you're like wanting to lift your game and take it up another level. And then there are other parents who are like, I had no framework from my own childhood. And so I need one to help me help my kid. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's massive. So, um, what do you think your, I'm going to sort of wrap up the conversation with a couple of really strong takeaways for, for parents, um, helping their kids navigate. And if you could go back in time and think about the ideal ways that you could have been told about your period, uh, what would they have been? do you think? What would the most important things that would have really changed the game for you been? I think that it would have been open conversations with my mom that weren't uncomfortable. Mm. I remember her telling me that she was going to show me how to use a tampon. I was like, oh, cool. You know, and I wasn't thinking how that was weird or anything, but she never did. Oh, <laughs> I, no. I guess she was probably mortified by it. She chickened and she was out. Like, I'll totally show you, but she did chicken out. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which I get. I can understand. Yeah. And so I think that it would be that, and, you know, so just showing me how to use these things, like what, what do you do with a pad? What do you do with a tampon? I mean, menstrual cups didn't really exist back then. And, you know, and again, also too, I wish that she didn't just hand me a book because <laughs> that's what she did. And instead explained some of what was in the book and what might happen. And like I said before to you, just having these conversations, never, ever being shut down when I asked questions when I was six or when I was eight or when I was nine. And instead, if I had known that, if I'd known it was a safe space to have these conversations, I feel like I would have been so much more in the know. I was definitely, I was super paranoid about getting my period. And like I said, leaking through my school uniform when I first got it. So I wore I wore a panty liner to school for a few days leading up to it because I kind of felt like some, I felt like spotting or something. So I knew something was ha happening and I was just so terrified. And so I think if we could, as, a, as adults, think back to what that time was like and how scary it is and what can you say to your kids that might take away the fear around this completely unknown thing that's about to happen to them, that mm. to me would be, would be ideal. Mm. And what do you think the role of um, dads is in this? Uh, because there might be some single parent dads out there who are dealing with this conversation themselves, or they just want to be as supportive as possible to their daughters. Uh, you, you know, um, two dad families where obviously yeah. they can't palm it off to someone else. Uh, so how, how can dads be uh, supportive in this phase? I'm so glad you asked that because I was just thinking, wow, that was such a hetero heteronormative conversation. And I wasn't even thinking about dads at no, all, which okay. is ridiculous, oh, but it's so true. And I watched this really cute video. It's sometime last year. It went viral on Facebook and it was about a dad bringing um, a box of pads to his daughter at school. 
And um, yeah, and the whole conversation between them and everything, it was just super cute. But anyway, uh, you know, I really, I think that dads totally have to be involved in this conversation. I just yeah. really do. And I think that it's even more complicated for them for multiple reasons, mm. but it's the same way I view men being involved in birth control Mm. and the fact that the onus has been on women for so, so long. And we really need to shift that responsibility considering that men are fertile every single day of their lives. They could Mm. impregnate a person every single day of their lives, which (laughs) loaded is is unfathomable, right? I know (laughs) unfathomable because that is not, that is not the female body. And so when you think about men being involved in that fertility conversation and how scary it is for them, because because they have, they generally have no idea how female bodies work and they're not that interested. And again, I think that is a conversation that should be happening from a young age. We should not only be talking to our daughters, we should be talking to our boys as well about all of this and, and making it just making it a natural, normal conversation. And so when it comes to dads and their daughters, I think that you can, you dads can be involved in the conversation when moms are around, or if it's, if it's two dads, Mm -hmm. I feel like you can, you can have a conversation with a female in your life to try and get some ideas on, on how to talk to your daughter. But again, ultimately, I think that like you did, you know, knowing from the very beginning where babies come from, Mm. just that alone, I mean, is a huge deal. Mm. How many times do parents just not even talk about that at all? I know. I think too, right? Like also having, having books, there are resources out there for kids to talk about their bodies and where different pieces bits are and you know what happens to them as you get older all of that i have i think having those resources on hand is really critical as well mm. yeah absolutely and um <laughs> just just reminding me of when my son i think this he was about 7 i reckon maybe 6 he's nearly 11 now Hopefully he'll never hear this show enough to be mortified by it. But I will tell this story when um, it was actually my husband who gave him the rundown on periods and how women have periods every month. Um, And we laugh at about who gets asked the question at what time, because we seem to have to deal with the opposite subjects that you would think that you would be the one talking to your kid about. I had to have the masturbation chat. That was fun. Um, (laughs) But, um, but he got periods for some reason. And, um, and so apparently he then said in response to my husband once he heard and his mind was obviously blown he's like so but that doesn't happen to mum right (laughs) and Ollie was like uh yeah it does every single month and he's like wow women are amazing like you wouldn't even know and they go and they do all their things like that is legitimately what he said in response and I was like bless your child you are a man of the future right (laughs) you know honestly that's so funny you brought this up because it actually reminds me of a, a video that I shared on Instagram a few months back and it was it was a a couple of girls and they looked like college students or maybe high schoolers. And the camera was on their friend. He was a boy. And he was like, wait, what? You bleed every single month. What are you telling me right now? He was completely blown away by this. And he was a teenager. So he needed to learn that a long time ago, but he was completely stunned by 
the cramps and you know the, the heaviness and the constantly changing of pads and tampons and cups and all these things and he was just yeah. completely like that little emoji or brain explosion and so I just I do think that there is a way to approach this from a place of wonderment and like your son said women are amazing and so if we if we changed it just a little bit we could certainly I think change so many perspectives mm. Yeah, we really could. Um, okay, so final final question uh, is if a parent is struggling because they have their own shame around their generation's understanding of periods and they want to remove that shame, what is, what is a strategy that that parent can employ? What is your favourite book for just normalising everything so that they can have a, a different story for the next generation. Yes, I fully believe in changing, that you can change your period story. And it starts with getting to know your flow, getting to know your cycle, really understanding what your unique cycle is telling you and what's happening. And, you know, getting comfortable with menstrual blood and you know whether that's you know looking at it observing it i mean i i tell all of my clients to do this you've got to look at your blood and see what it what color it is are there lots of clots how much are you bleeding how long are you bleeding for you changing at night and you know or doubling up all of these things are going to tell us vital information about our health and so you know your period has been designated as a, a vital sign and so we refer to it as this fifth vital sign and i really think that that's something that we haven't quite grasped yet and when i look at comments on articles about periods or cycles in general and people are just like comment after comment saying things along the lines of oh i'm so glad that's over my life or i'm on the pill i got rid of that thing you know all mm. that stuff so i know we have a long way to go yeah. and like i said i think i, think I know that, the exact new york times article you're referring to right now i'll pop it in the show notes excruciating yeah. to read that there was also a guardian article too that where I was just like, wow, we're really still here. I clearly live in a period bubble, mm. but you know, getting to getting in the, in the know about your cycle will be so empowering. It's completely game changing. I don't have yet to meet a woman who has learned about her period and her entire cycle and fertility, and then be ashamed or embarrassed by it at all because they're now like, oh my gosh, what? My body does what? My body builds, you know, an, an egg every single month or, you know, releases one and then it starts to, you know, produce progesterone where that egg came out of. And I mean, that progesterone would support a baby for the first few months of a pregnancy. It's just amazing when you start to learn the biology. And so when you're fascinated by it, you're like hard pressed to feel ashamed or embarrassed about it. I think the other thing is too, is to share your story talk to friends, kind of feel friends out, see if they are open to having these conversations. Because, you know, I, I like what Brene Brown says about, uh, you know, shame and secrecy and all that. She's like, secrecy feeds judgment, it feeds shame, it feeds fear. And so when we speak out loud about our cycles, it's all gone. There is no weird attachment to it anymore. There is nothing that, you know, is going to make you feel uncomfortable because you know that other people have these conversations too and they also have these feelings. And so we were saying this earlier that you know we are we feel like we're the only ones because we don't talk about this stuff. 
And so if we were to just have, you know, find a, a trusted friend and, or maybe find, I mean, these are popular now, but like find a, a full moon circle or a women's circle of some kind, or go to events where people are speaking about this. I mean, I, I lead events and, you know, we talk about hormones and periods for two hours. So you can find things like that now where other people are discussing this very openly and uh, you know, also I did something uh, two days ago where I had a guest teacher on my on a call with a group program that I'm leading, and she's a pelvic physical therapist. And she started off the call by saying, "We're gonna, I'm gonna have you repeat some words, and they're not words you often say. So I'm just gonna have you all say them so that it's not uncomfortable when you want to ask questions about them." And so she repeated labia and vulva and vagina and clitoris and anus, and, and she and you know everyone's like ah. You know, but when we, when we talk about it, it's like, okay, right. This is just another body part. It's not weird at all. So Mm. I do really think having conversations and really getting to know your body are two of the most important things we'll ever do for ourselves. I love that. So good. And, um, one of my tricks, I guess, um, when I'm thinking about like, when you don't feel confident sharing a subject with someone, like, for example, for me and what I teach, it's environmental toxin load reduction. And so I'm like, bring the buddy, whether it's the parent, the husband, the great aunt who's poo-pooing all your decisions and watch a documentary together or watch someone's Instagram live, like go hit up Nicole's channel and start watching some videos together. So you're not the one that has to try and navigate the murky road of something that you're still not confident in, like both learn from someone who's super confident because there's so much amazing content people can enjoy now. So true. I love that. I think Mm. that's a great idea. Yes, exactly. Go look at other people talk about this stuff. (laughs) Don't do the heavy lifting right off the bat. (laughs) Yeah. And then it just takes the pressure off, but you're still ticking the box. Yes, totally. Mm. Exactly. I love that so much. So good. Oh, such a good chat. It was been beautiful to meet you finally and, uh, and to start helping people feel more confident in this space because I think we still have a long way to go um, and yet we can do this. It's not going to be hard if we just go, this is a normal part of life and it stops with our generation of parents. We stop making this weird. Thank you. Yes, I agree. I think that's the final thought I wanted to share. And it's that who is, who does this stuff belong to? Is this yours? Is, do you, is this your weirdness? Is this your stuff? Is this your baggage around your cycle and your body? Or does it belong to someone else in another generation? Is it your mother? Is it your father? Is it your grandparents? So that's something to think about too. We, we are, we've been passed down these beliefs and I agree that it's, it's totally time to break that. Done. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart S T U A R T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support, and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low-Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, 
about 27 euro and about 25 pounds, you get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.